How is the institution of the church organized and managed? The mission of the Assembly of Christians, the church, includes teaching and preaching, edification of its members, caring for its needy, and worshiping our Creator. How are these goals to be reached? What structure is needed? What foundation is needed in order to be not just effective and successful, but also efficient in the work? As we have looked in our series in the study, the Bible is plain spoken on the mission points of the church, but also the details of each of these. And when it comes into the matter of how, there are specific examples and even direct commands regarding how this work is to be carried out. Let's open with this question. Is the church all sufficient? Meaning what? Is the church capable of meeting the needs of what it has been asked to do without outside help? We know sufficient means enough or adequate. Is the institution of the church able to adequately fill its needs without other institutions chipping in to assist or perhaps even to completely take over the role of one of the focus areas? This is answered in our textbook, our guide, our word from our maker, our Bible. Some have said that the church is an afterthought, that Christ was not able to fulfill his mission on the earth, being cut short by the intervention of man and taking his life before he was able to actually fulfill his mission. Well, this is nothing but mistruth by misguided individuals. The plan in great detail was prophesied hundreds of years prior, as we've discussed, and the plan came to pass exactly as it was told. We can easily be distracted by losing sight of the fact that the death of Christ was part of the plan, perhaps the final piece of the puzzle, if you will, put into place, or using Bible terms, the chief cornerstone, which became a stumbling block for others, if you recall. This concept of the adequacy of the church to the early churches we read about, Paul to the Ephesians in chapter 3, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is that? The purpose, the plan was of divine origin planned by a divine architect, not to rush to throw something together as a substitute when the initial plan fell short of accomplishing the goal. The eternal purpose carried out through Christ is the called out, the assembly of his followers, the church. The book of Hebrews references the old law a lot, and while looking at the new, in chapter 8, we look back at Moses when building the tabernacle. The plans were very, very detailed. And we read there, what? See, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. And what do we read just prior to this verse? Now, the main point of what is being said is this, chapter 8, verse 1, we have such a high priest, comparing to the Levitical tribe of the Old Testament, who sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow 
of heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern. The church has a pattern. The church has a plan, an architect, and a builder upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades, or his death, Christ said, would not overpower it. Upon this rock I will build my church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The rock was the confession of Peter. Matthew 16 and 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And the perfect leader, the head, in Ephesians chapter 1, he put all things in subjection under his feet. The plan was not a failure, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The timing also is of importance. In Mark chapter 1, now after John had been delivered up into custody, chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God, the church, is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that gospel the perfect law. James talks about this in chapter 1. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This is an interesting phrase, a law that brings liberty. We typically think laws are considered to bind or to hold back, yet there is a law that offers freedom. Read in Jude, verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That perfect law of liberty. 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is inspired of God. God breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly furnished or equipped for every good work. What's that? All sufficient. Scripture equips us, not just barely equipped, but thoroughly equipping us for every good work. And that work, evangelism, edification, benevolence, and worship, which are the focus points of the church. Let's go through seeing this institute in action. Again, going to the Bible to witness as that plan was put into action. Funds, money, is necessary to accomplish the goals. How were the funds raised? On the first day of the week, members gave directly to their local assembly. 1 Corinthians 16, concerning the collection for the saints, as I've directed the Church of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to set something aside, saving whatever he has prospered, so that no collections be made when I come. Tithing is a word that comes out almost always when giving is discussed. But that's a pattern 
of the Old Testament, not a New Testament pattern. It perhaps is a good reference or a guide, but it is not the law of liberty. Members gave as they desired on the first day of the week. Elders are the leaders. 1 Timothy 3 outlines the work of an elder and also its qualifications to be in that office. The word bishop is also used for this, this same office, presbyter, and even pastor. Pastor is a word today that is given to the preacher in most instances, not necessarily one that has met all of the qualifications of a pastor, and some even give the title elder to their young men that are being trained. The elders are shepherds of the flock, not the preacher. You can read about, again, in 1 Timothy 3, their duties. The preacher has a job teaching and preaching, but in many instances, the preacher is paid, and, and as such as given the duty, those list of things that we talked about outlined in Matthew chapter 25, those duties are placed on the, the pastor. Those duties, as we've discussed, are for everyone, all of us, the elders, not just the preacher. Deacons are also a group of people mentioned that are to aid in accomplishing the work of the church as they work under the guidance of the elders, also 1 Timothy 3. Note that this is not a plurality of churches working under a bishop, but it is a plurality of bishops working in every church. Here it all is in one verse, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. It's all there. The saints, the overseers, and the deacons. Also, looking at the work of elders in 1 Peter 5 and 2, shepherd the flock of God among you. Again, local leading local. So here we are. The church's work is funded by its members, giving on the first day of the week, under the leadership of highly qualified men as elders, supported by the work and the assistance of the deacons. But what about if there are no elders? Who manages? Who oversees? Well, this is where we see some of the first steps to look elsewhere to manage other than local. Can we get someone else to manage our affairs? Let's go back to the principles already discussed when it comes to family. Family knows the needs of the family. The same principle applies to the church. Family knows the needs of family. Someone on the outside looking for the shepherding of someone else in another part is not the pattern. You can look at history and see this is where the concept behind Catholicism started. We need someone to oversee the local congregation, then someone to oversee the parishes where all the congregations are, and then someone to oversee the next level, then the next level, and the next level, and then we have a pope over all of them. And we have seen the same results in the news, decisions being made for local folks at a higher level, and your options are take the decision or you may leave. Meanwhile, family caring for family works. Decisions made locally, supported locally, carried out locally, all following the plan established by the divine architect, whose head is the architect's son and his law, his will. It is really not that complicated. It is not only effective, it's also very efficient. Now, where do we read one church church ruling another. As we've talked a little bit, let's consider some other organizations or institutions that have been established to carry out, or some would say to aid in the work of the church, like missionary societies, 
like children's homes, used to be called orphans homes, schools, colleges, hospitals, kitchens, and related, taking an arm of the work of the church and organizing it to a point it can easily be seen as a human institution. Just take the name off that references that it's a part of a church or religion. And let's not forget many of these tasks that man has assigned to the church were assigned not to the assembly, but to the individual, as we talked about recently. The church is self-ruling under the leadership of the elders and the deacon under the law of Christ. Again and again, the church in its infancy was warned of issue. Let's also remind ourselves, as we were told what would happen in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And to be very, very specific, see if you can name a person or a position that the following warns about. Let no one in any way deceive you, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For it is not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exhausts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the sanctuary of God, exhibiting himself as God. Does this person exist today? Certainly, perhaps at the highest level of religious organization in which one person rules, to some degree, the whole world. When human wisdom moves over the wisdom of our architect, our founder, our creator, the giver of all things necessary for life and godliness, let's wallpaper over the guides for leadership. Let's vote in a council and regional direction. Let's get organized. When the simply family unit, each caring for its own, is effective and efficient, and oh, by the way, scripturally approved by the head and the architect. And for about 1,900 years, this was the practice. And we're better off today with the inclusion of all these other concepts. We are a holy nation, undivided in unity and spirit, celebrating our Lord in one voice. Maybe we need to look again at what's going on. The Ben Church of Christ invites you to come be with us. Our time is gone. We thank you very much for joining us. Look forward to visiting with you next week at this time. Until then, we bid you a very blessed day.